The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with futures under some pressure as stocks get ready to resume trading after a very brief holiday recess, while the latest from the Fed today could point to more pain to come. And growing concerns out of China also adding to investor anxiety this morning. Yet another key economic data point coming in weaker than expected. And speaking of China, new tensions between Washington and Beijing brewing as Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen prepares for her trip there. Plus, forget about the octagon. Meta Platforms prepares to roll out what some people are now calling a Twitter killer. And then later on in the show, your second half playbook, making big bets on the gaming sector. It is Wednesday, July the 5th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Thank you for starting your day with us. Let's kick off the hour with the check on U.S. stock futures as Wall Street gets back to work after the 4th of July holiday. Taking a look at futures, you can see they are red across the board. The Dow looks like it would open up about 100 points lower. Again, it is early. The Nasdaq down about a half a percent. The S&P fractionally lower. We're also taking a look at the bond market. As always, we begin with the benchmark 10-year. Looking at the yield there at 3.85, a bit elevated from what we saw just last week. Also, a slightly higher yield when it comes to the two-year note. We always watch that shorter end of the curve, especially in recent months. The 10 to two-year spread at its lowest since early March. And we're also looking at the energy sector. We're going to talk much more about this later on in the show. Oil hovering right around that $70 a barrel mark. Looking at WTI crude Almost at 71, up one and a half percent. Again, we'll talk more about this later on in the show. Brent crude, however, going in the opposite direction, down three quarters of a percent, almost at 76 bucks a barrel. A lot more action in natural gas, however, up more than two and a half percent. All right. Time now for a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Frank, good morning to you. The Biden administration is reportedly preparing to restrict Chinese companies' access to U.S. cloud computing services. According to The Wall Street Journal, the new rule, if adopted, would likely require U.S. cloud providers like Amazon and Microsoft to seek U.S. government permission before working with some Chinese customers. The Commerce Department is expected to make the announcement official in the coming weeks and comes just one day after China imposed new export restrictions on key metals used to make computer chips. Meanwhile, Meta Platforms plans to launch a Twitter rival microblogging app called Threads Tomorrow. Now, the new app will allow users to retain followers from Instagram and keep their same usernames. The rollout is a direct challenge to Twitter, which has faced numerous controversies since Elon Musk bought the company last year for $44 billion. And Chinese online retailer Xi'an is reportedly working with at least three U.S. investment banks, including Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley, on a potential U.S. initial public offering. Now, according to Reuters, the company is currently in talks with the New York Stock Exchange and the Nasdaq about a potential debut. But... 
timing remains uncertain as the company is under scrutiny from U.S. lawmakers over its labor practices and as a result may ultimately decide to scrap any public debut plans. Sheehan was uh, was most recently valued at more than $60 billion and could become the most valuable China-founded company to go public in the U.S. since ride-hailing giant Didi back in 2021 at $68 billion, Frank. Wow, certainly something to watch, a very big Absolutely. IPO potentially coming up. But as you mentioned, mm-hmm. a lot of questions about Lots of it. the company, um, something we'll continue to watch. So, Bana, thank you very much. Yeah. We'll see you later on the show. All right, turn our attention back to the broader markets. And if history is any indication, the solid gain stocks all in the past six months could carry over for the rest of the year. Take a listen. Since 1929, when the S&P 500 rose at least 14% in the first half, the index climbed an average of 4.3% in the second half of the year. Going back further for the Dow, since 1897, when it gained at least 2% in the first half of the year, the Dow posted an average gain of 6.2% in the second half. So a big upside there. So, well, the the good times are going to keep rolling on. Let's bring in Vance Howard, CEO and Portfolio Manager at Howard Capital Management, to answer that question. Vance, good morning. How are you? Hey, Frank. How are you doing today? All right. So, Vance, i got to ask you, how do you see stocks in the second half of the year? We're in a bit of an unusual situation. Uh, the Fed pausing in a historically quick rate hiking cycle. We have some recession concerns. At the same time, we have the disruption of AI. I'm not concerned at all. The trend of the market is up. And I think as long as the trend's up, you continue to trade this thing to the long side. Any pullbacks that you get in the market from here forward are a buying opportunity, in our opinion. I think you've got to sort of shut off all this negativity that you hear out there, recession, the Fed, and just trade what actually is happening. What's happening, uh, Frank, is the market's going higher. We're in a, I think we're in a new bull market. The trend's up. Don't don't fight the trend. Like you don't fight the Fed, don't fight the trend. But I think that okay. the, the Fed is starting to slow down. I think they've done their job. All right, let's not fight the trend. Let's put this all in perspective. If we look at the historical averages, the S&P likely to rise 4% in the second half of the year. That would put it at about 46.70 at year end. Levels we haven't seen since all the way back in January of 2022. That's a pretty big jump. We also have the potential for more Fed hikes. Um, right now, looking at the CME FedWatch tool, 86% chance of a quarter point hike in July just three weeks from now. How does that influence your theory that we're in a new bull market and the stocks have a lot more upside? Well, like, like I said, you know, another thing, too, Frank, think about this. You've got you've had a great first half of the year. Think of these fund managers and these hedge fund managers that are behind the curve now that maybe didn't participate in this great upswing that we've we, we've had. So they're going to they're going to start to chase it the last half of the year. When you look at these great first halves and you look at these great second halves, the reason the second halves are so great is because you've got people trying to chase it. Now you've got FOMO, fear of missing out. So there's going to be a lot of money coming back in. You've got $5.5 trillion in cash. That's an amazing amount of cash. I've, I don't think I've ever seen that much cash on the sidelines to fuel this thing higher. So it's just cash on the sidelines. So when you talk about cash on the sidelines, we keep hearing about the market broadening out. Um, is this cash on the sidelines going into that big tech trade? Are you still confident in that? And I have to ask you again, um, the possibility of another Fed hike. How does that change that AI mega cap tech trade in your mind? I don't think that it changes it at all. I think that mega cap AI, I think, is going higher. I think that is the future. I think that there's so much opportunity there, and I think people need to jump on the bandwagon because I think there's a lot of money that's being missed if you're too afraid to get into this market and this nice uptrend of these great stocks that are doing doing wonderful things. All right, so you're still on the bandwagon, but you gave us some other picks. I want to start with one of the picks you gave us in the payment space. Why are you so bullish on payments right now when you're saying all the activities in the mega cap tech trade? Well, you know, like like you just mentioned to go, it is starting to broaden out. But what I like Visa, you know, one of the reasons I do like Visa is because it is breaking out to a new 52-week high. I love 52-week highs. 
the way stocks doubles is they've got to make a 52-week high the whole way up to double your money. But they just had a couple of acquisitions, which is going to broaden their uh, their revenue base. It's going to broaden out their profitability. So it's a, and people are people are spending money. They're swapping the yeah. card. It's wonderful. But Vance, they are spending money, but they're going to run out of money sooner or later. A lot of people are spending, but they're technically spending on credit. I know it's money to a visa, but it's on credit. Well, on credit, but look at this. This economy is doing well. Everybody think, seems to think that this economy is not doing very well. It's doing great. And I don't think we're going to go into a recession. I really don't. I think that Fed Chair Powell is going to actually sidestep this whole thing. I think that he's raised rates as high as he needs to raise them. I don't think he needs to do another point or two. I think that the markets or the inflation is starting to control itself. I, you, I'm bullish. I mean, I, I'm okay. bullish. <laughs> All right. So according to our notes, you're 95% invested in the market right now. That means only 5% bonds. You're going to stay that way the rest of the year? Well, no, we, we, we're more than 95 now. We're, we're closer to 99. We're just about really? all the way in. The way we're trading our money now, Frank, is we're buying on pullbacks, we're buying on breakouts, we're rotating our money to different asset classes that we think are going to outperform. Again, AI is our top holding. Mega cap growth is our top holding. But there's so much opportunity. I encourage people, get off the sideline and take advantage of this wonderful new bull market. All right, Vance Howard, we got to leave the conversation there. Great to see you as always. Thank you. A lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including that one word that investors have to know today. But first, we go live to Vienna, where OPEC is holding its annual seminar just days after one of its most influential members says it's taking more crude off the market. Plus, the Biden administration under fire for its apparent social media meddling. And then later, talks at a standstill as some $19 billion in trade gets held up at Canada's West Coast ports. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a check on the early action in Asia and the early trade over in Europe. Our Juliana Tattlebaum is standing by in our London newsroom with much more on both. Juliana, good morning. Frank, good morning. Great to see you. I hope you had a wonderful long weekend and holiday yesterday. Here in Europe, uh, we're off to a sluggish start. There was not much of a market narrative yesterday with you guys off. Uh, but uh, this morning, we are decidedly moving lower. Losses across the board. Every major region is down this morning. We did get some final PMIs. 
for the Eurozone this morning. And they showed that the Eurozone private sector business activity has contracted for the first time this year in the month of June. So fairly downbeat on the data front. FTSE 100 down six-tenths of a percent in the UK. We're keeping an eye on the banks. This Thursday, the financial regulator here in the UK is meeting with a number of banks to discuss how they're passing on higher interest rates in the form of higher savings rates. The idea being that the banks can do a little bit more to help protect households and the economy as they, the country deals with higher interest rates. Now, we're also trading weaker after a week handover from Asia. Here's the picture of how Asian markets closed up shop. Hang Seng in Hong Kong ended 1.6% lower. In the mainland, the Shanghai Composite pulled back 7 tenths of a percent. We also got some final PMI data out of China. The Kaishin Services PMI came in disappointed. It declined more than expected. It actually logged its weakest reading since January. So adding to the story that growth momentum is slowing in China and spurring expectations that we could see more of a policy response from Chinese authorities. Frank? All right, Juliana, thank you very much. Our Juliana Tattlebaum live in our London newsroom. All right, turning back to the energy trade, it's a mixed trade for oil prices today. With WTI crude up following the 4th of July holiday, Brent, however, is lower. As worries about a global slowdown, they continue to weigh on sentiment. This coming just days after Saudi Arabia and Russia announced they would increase and extend their production cuts this summer. CNBC's Dan Murphy is inside OPEC headquarters in Vienna, where the group is holding its annual seminar. Dan. Frank, well, this is not an OPEC meeting, but it certainly has all the hallmarks of one because, as you say, what we've seen in the last 24 to 48 hours is some significant policy moves from Saudi Arabia and Russia. The Saudis moving to extend their so-called Saudi lollipop production curb worth a million barrels for an extra month, and then Russia coming alongside and deciding to cut production and exports by 500,000 barrels. What's interesting, though, is that we haven't necessarily seen a more profound market reaction. We're still seeing oil track at around 70 US dollars a barrel this morning. So what gives? Well, in the last few minutes, we've heard Saudi Arabia's energy minister actually speaking on stage here in Vienna at the OPEC seminar, saying there's a pretty clear disconnect between prices and fundamentals right now. The view in the market is that we will see a tightening in the second half, but of course, by exactly how much and when it starts to eventuate remains to be seen. And of course, what we also see is real macroeconomic concerns continuing to weigh on prices right now, including demand concerns out of China and renewed concerns about higher interest rates across developed economies, including in the United States, which have all been keeping a lid on prices. What's interesting, though, is that the energy minister has also said that this action that we've seen from Saudi Arabia and Russia really perhaps puts to bed any suggestions from the critics that these two major producers aren't working together and in lockstep to stabilize this market. So, Dan, you just mentioned this isn't an actual OPEC meeting. It's something a bit different. So outside the usual energy ministers that attend these kind of OPEC events, can you tell us who else is in attendance? This is interesting. So we're actually seeing some key European ONG majors like Total Energies on the ground here. Of course, a lot of the major golf producers like Aramco, based out of Saudi Arabia, uh, Adnoc, based out of the UAE, also coming on to uh, have a conversation about exactly what's going to happen in the oil and energy markets in the second half. But what's also interesting is the presence of key European policymakers like the European Energy Commissioner, Kadri Simpson. Uh, she is on the grounds here, too, to 
try and form some kind of engagement between these oil and gas producers from the Gulf, uh, from, from around Europe and from broadly around the world uh, with policymakers because the other clear major focus is, of course, what's happening with the energy trilemma and the energy transition and how these countries and these companies are addressing issues like climate, for example, which is really the elephant in the room. All right. Our Dan Murphy live in Vienna. Thank you very much for that. All right. Keeping our focus here on the oil market, it had a rough first half of the year. WTI dropping nearly 12 percent. Well, Brent was down more than 13 percent. Let's talk more about where oil and other energy prices, they may be headed for the rest of 2023 with Victor Katona, lead crude analyst at Kepler. Victor, great to see you. Great to see you, too. All right. So we just heard Dan kind of break this all down. I want to really get your perspective. And can you just put it put it in context for us? The Saudi Arabia extending cuts into August, along with Russia and the Algiers cuts. What does that say about demand and what does that say about sentiment? Well, um, in a normal universe, under normal circumstances, if Saudi Arabia cuts production by a million barrels per day, that's a very significant event. The market reaction, however, right now was almost non-existent. And the main reason for that is that the market perceives Saudi Arabia's cutting production as a sign of weakness and not as a sign of strength. It sees it as a, uh, an actual acute difficulty with demand in the markets. Uh, the Chinese demand story didn't really uh, tr- transform into the butterfly that, all, that everyone was expecting it to. And uh, pretty much the Atlantic Basin is mired in, in recessionary fears. So it doesn't right. really feel as if the market is growing. And hence, there is no reaction. All right. So you're saying the market doesn't feel like it's growing. But in all fairness, in June, we saw uh, China have its second highest monthly crude imports on record. First half of the year trending higher than last year. Is that sustainable? Are we seeing it may be slower than expected, but are we seeing that China reopening that can give a real boost to the uh, price action in the oil market? Well, one of the consequences of, of all the things that have happened in the first half of 2023 is that a lot of people have lost trust. And uh, a lot of people see the high imports of of Chinese refiners in May, June, and they think that the Chinese are just building stocks to run them down uh, subsequently in the the second half of 2023. So even though we have tremendous import figures over the past two months, because the Chinese economy feels so weak, because the PMI uh, indexes are, are, are just really horrid for this time of the year, everyone expects that this, w- this is not a sign of strength. This is a sign of hoarding before the real impact of the recession hits. And that's not good. All right. Certainly something to think about there. I also want to talk to you about the Fed minutes. They're going to be released later today. The Fed minutes from the meeting back in June. It's going to give us more insight into this so-called hawkish pause. How does that impact the oil market? And also the thought, um, you look at the CME FedWatch tool, a tool that we use here, there's more than an 80 percent chance of another hike coming up in 21 days. How does that impact the oil market? Tremendously. Uh, I, I, trust me, it would impact the oil market much more than, than the Saudi Arabian production cut announcement or let alone Russia's 500,000 barrel per day export cut. Uh, people will be looking at the Fed. People will want to gauge the, the sentiment really in the market, whether we are in for a soft landing or it's going to be really, really hard. And depending on that, we'll see a lot of movement today. Uh, so after yesterday's relatively muted trading session when the U.S. was uh, uh, enjoying the holiday, today will be very eventful. All right. So one thing I want to ask you about coming full circle of those Saudi Arabia cuts extending into August, their break evens about 80 bucks, 81 bucks. Right now we're seeing Brent at about 75 and a half. Do we expect that production cut to get extended past August? What other movements can we see from the OPEC plus members? Because it just seems like oil just can't find its way this year. 
Yeah, that's a very, very good question because sustainably Saudi Arabia was producing 9 million barrels per day that it produces right now only twice in history. Peak COVID and the great financial crisis. It's not really tenable for the Saudi Arabians to do this, basically to sacrifice themselves and everyone else to piggyback on their, on their sacrifice. I think there will be a tremendous amount of pressure from Saudi Arabia towards other members to join the club of those who cut. But Saudi Arabia cannot realistically cut any further because they need the budget revenue. If they cut any more and you know, the prices don't move still, it's going to be a tragedy for the national budget. So expect a lot of pressure on other OPEC plus producers and potentially more cuts coming from them, too. All right. Certainly something to watch. Looking at Brent crude right now, down a half a percent. WTI up one and a half percent. Victor Katona, always great to have you here. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. So we're ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Flying baggage free. Dolly Parton says no thanks to AI and the trouble with regulating emojis. Your top trending stories when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for a check on this morning's other headlines outside the world of business. NBC's Jessica Layton's in New York with the very latest. Jessica, good morning. Hi, hi, Frank. Good morning. The Secret Service is continuing to investigate after calling, finding rather what it called a small amount of a white powdery substance in the West Wing of the White House on Sunday. The discovery led to a brief evacuation, but a field test later revealed it was cocaine. President Biden was not in the White House when the substance was discovered. The investigation will attempt to determine who left the item. The White House declined to comment to NBC on this situation. The Israeli army has ended its operation in the West Bank city of Jenin. The two-day assault left at least 12 Palestinians dead, along with one Israeli soldier. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu praised what he called a successful anti-terrorism mission. Monday was the hottest day ever recorded on Earth. That's according to analysis by the University of Maine. Researchers found the area above the planet's surface reached a global average of over 62 degrees. Now, climate scientists say this is because of a combination of climate change and also the El Nino weather pattern, which causes parts of the U.S. and Canada to be both warmer and drier. And we all know it's a 4th of July tradition. Joey Jaws Chestnut took home his 16th mustard belt at the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest, devouring 62 francs and buns in 10 minutes. And Mickey Sudo earned her ninth win on the women's side. She defended her title with 39 and a half hot dogs and buns. So, Frank, you know, just a little light lunch on a hot 4th of July day. Back to you. <laughs> I can't even imagine being out there on a hot day trying to eat all those hot dogs. I, I guess it's a skill, Jessica. No, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. Great to see you. All right, straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Yahoo looks to make a public equity market comeback. But first, a check on shares of UPS this morning. According to the Teamsters Union, company negotiators, they've walked away from the bargaining table after presenting what the union is describing as an unacceptable offer. They failed to address key member concerns. Teamsters say no additional talks are currently scheduled. The labor contract between UPS and the Teamsters will expire at midnight on July the 31st. If an agreement is not reached between the two sides before then, 
in June. The Teamsters passed a strike action vote, which would allow it to strike if necessary. Look at the shares of UPS right now. Not seeing any movement. Shares up year-to-date 5%. Much more Worldwide Exchange. Back in a moment. Stay with us. It is right around 5.30 a.m. here in the New York City area, and we're just getting started here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. Stocks here in the U.S. set to resume trading following the 4th of July holiday. The Fed again in focus for investors, futures facing some pressure ahead of the open. Contract talks between Canada's West Coast port owners and workers remaining at a standstill. The government now calling on both sides to get back to the bargaining table and remove the latest hurdle for the global supply chain. And opening up our second half playbook and seeing if investors want to keep rolling the dice on gaming stocks after a solid start to the year. It is Wednesday, July the 5th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Thank you for starting your day with us. Let's pick up the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures. Taking a look right now, we're seeing they are red across the board. The Dow actually falling a bit from earlier, down about 25 more points. The Nasdaq also falling just a bit, down more than a half a percent. Same story for the S&P. We're also looking at new data from Bank of America. Out just moments ago, U.S. stocks and ETFs, they saw their biggest weekly inflows since October just about five and a half billion dollars. You got to remember October. Those are the lows that we've seen the market bounce off from. All right. We're also looking at the bond market. As always, we begin with the benchmark 10 year. We're seeing the benchmark 10 year right now at three point eight three. Now, this has risen about 10 basis points. The yield here from just about a week ago. We're also seeing the two year note um, off of its highs of just earlier this morning, just a few basis points, but still an elevated yield there. We also want to look at oil. We've been talking a lot about energy and oil right now. We have our Dan Murphy at OPEC headquarters this morning. We're seeing some different moves here. WTI crude moving even higher than it was just earlier, up almost 2%. Brent crude right now down about a half a percent, slightly off of its lows. Natural gas still seeing the biggest moves, up more than 2.5%. Time now for a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Savannah Hanau is back with those. Silvana. Hey, Frank, good morning. A federal judge is restricting agencies and officials from the Biden administration from having contact with social media companies. A court filing showing the judge is barring the White House officials in regards to content moderation. The move stems from a lawsuit brought by Republican attorneys general in Louisiana and Missouri. Now, they claim that federal government officials went too far in efforts to encourage social media companies to address certain posts they worried could contribute to vaccine hesitancy during the pandemic or upend elections. Meanwhile, labor negotiations between Canadian West Coast port owners say negotiations and unions remain at a standstill pending further discussion with government mediators. Canada's labor minister is calling for both sides to return to negotiations. As a result of the strike, Canada's western ports have not serviced any vessels since June 30th, with the estimated combined value of the containers floating off the ports of Vancouver and Prince Rupert now reaching $19 billion. And 6,000 spare aerosystem workers are set to return to work today after ending their brief strike. That deal, which was approved last week, contains major improvements in wages, overtime rules, as well as health care. The return to work comes as Spirit Client Boeing prepares to step up production rates of its financially critical Max and Dreamliner planes, Frank. Yes, Ivan, looking at the shares of Spirit Aerosystems, down almost 1% on that news. Talking a lot about labor and negotiations. Lots going on, yeah. All right, certainly a lot to watch. Silvana, thank you very much. You got it. 
All right, another quick check on U.S. stock futures with the S&P coming off its highest close since April of 2022. Just showing just a short time ago in the red across the board, the Dow looks like it opened up almost 150 points lower at this point. The S&P fractionally lower, the Nasdaq down more than a half a percent. All right, well, Wall Street has made a massive comeback since those October lows. Stocks, they still have a long way to go, with the Dow off nearly 7 percent from its all-time high. The S&P 500 off 7.5 percent. And even with the AI rally, the Nasdaq is still more than 14 percent away from its all-time high. But new technicals show we could be hitting and possibly surpassing those highs. And it could be sooner than later, according to our next guest, Tim Hayes, chief global investment strategist and Ned Davis Research. Tim, good morning. Morning. All right. So I'm going to come to you for the technicals, but I have to ask you, we have the Fed minutes coming up. We've seen an aggressive rate hiking cycle. We have recession concerns. We have a lot of things going on that are pretty much unprecedented, not even to mention the economy coming out of the recession, uh, the pandemic still. Are there something in the technicals that we have here that can cut through all that noise and disruption and give us a clear picture for the second half of the year? Well, I think the thing to keep in mind is it's so much negativity has been priced into stocks. And, uh, you know, really things turned around when when we got to late last year on September, October, when it became evident we weren't moving into a stagflationary crisis or major recession. And since then, we've seen, um, you know, a steady upturn in earnings revisions as it's become clear that too much negativity had been priced in uh, as far as the outlook for earnings. And so, I think what we're seeing is what often happens. Markets climb a little worry, and we're still at that point where we just now started to see flows uh, coming back into the stock market. And we haven't had flows. In fact, we've had net outflows all year, even though the market's been uh, working its way higher this year. Yeah, so, great, great point. We were just citing some Bank of America data about inflows in the stocks and ETFs. But I do have to ask you, I want to be very pointed about this. What technicals are you seeing that are giving you second half confidence? Because it feels like there's a lot of mixed signals. Well, you can just start with something very simple, which is the 50-day moving average on the S&P 500, which has crossed above its 200-day moving average, and both of those are rising. Um, you know, that's uh, something we saw back in 2020. In fact, we have a number of technical indicators that have given us signals um, that we hadn't seen since the second half of 2020, which was the beginning of um, really the run-up we had until the end of 2021. So, um, yeah, I think broad-based are indicators. We have a global balance account model that's now reached its highest level in terms of equity allocation in um, several years. Okay. And so we're just getting more and more confirmation that this is a sustainable uptrend and not a, a temporary move higher. Yeah. You know, speaking of a uptrend, I just want to point out to the viewers right now, we're looking at the 50 day and the 200 day uh, charts when it comes to the NASDAQ and S&P. And we're seeing the line there showing the 50 day is moving above the 200 day for the viewers. The white line is the 50 day. Um, so we talked about inflows into stocks. I know you're also looking at inflows into stocks and bonds. What signals are you seeing there that are giving you confidence in the second half? Well, it's the fact that, that, that the flows are going, I mean, usually when you have, even if bonds are pulling their own, stocks are going to outperform bonds on the upside. And we're seeing that trend start to turn since we've had those outflows. And now we're seeing more flows into stocks relative to bonds and and what's happening now is you've got sort of this inverted yield curve situation where you don't want to, you know, you want to have shortened duration. So bonds are, you know, really challenged now because the whole case for bonds had been we're moving into a much worse economic environment, and that's becoming less and less evident. So that's going to be a headwind for bonds at this point. Bond yields have been in the trading range now for, you know, several months. 
All right, so historical averages have the S&P rising about 4% in the second half of the year after it increased 14% in the first half. That will put us at about 46.70 or so. We haven't seen those levels since January of 2022. Do you believe we can get there, maybe even surpass? Yeah, I, I think it's likely we'll, hit, we'll, we'll be seeing record highs this year. Um, I wouldn't rule out weakness during that seasonal period of August, September, October. That tends to be the worst period of the year. But, you know, on average, a cyclical bull market, and we've been calling this a secular bull market since 2009, uh, those bull markets take the market up by 100%. And, you know, it seems like a, a stretch from here, but that, that's what the averages are. And everything's okay. lining up. The subtrend's still intact. So it, it does seem like a stretch. Can you, do you have an S&P target for year end just to give us a sense of how bullish you really are? Uh, no, I don't personally have an S&P target. I, I look at things globally as well because we uh, we track the MSCI uh, indices and um, the all country world index is, is the major benchmark I look at. And the U.S. is, is sort of leading the okay. way here. Led by technology, the U.S. has been outperforming. And we're overweight to U.S. within a global context. So, um, yeah, I think we'll be likely seeing a year. Our, our entering the year, we had a conservative estimate of 10% for the year. And I think, um, you know, we're already, <clears throat> you know, above, we're going we to be above that by the time the year is over. All right, Tim Hayes, thank you very much. Appreciate you being here. Okay, thanks. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we tee up our second half playbook and the gaming stocks Jeffrey's David Katz is betting big on. But first, as we had to break, some of your top trending stories. Talk about packing light. Soon, tourists and business travelers heading to Japan will be able to show up with nothing but a toothbrush and the clothes that are on their back. Described as an initiative to promote sustainable tourism, Japan Airlines and Sumimoto will soon offer rental clothes for visits to the island nation for between 28 and 49 bucks an outfit through August of 2024. Flyers will be able to rent up to eight outfits based on size and on season. And there seems to be endless rooms on the room on the AI bandwagon, but legendary country superstar Dolly Parton has no intention of hopping on. The Rock and Roll Hall of Famer says she's gone from after she's gone from this earth. She has no interest in living on using the AI and hologram technologies that some other musicians are exploring. Didn't expect that. And the Wall Street Journal reporting regulators have a new target and focus. That's emojis. The journal says one priority for regulators this year is looking at financial firms' procedures and rules for off-channel communications like text messaging, including abbreviations, and the growing use of emojis. Much more Worldwide Exchange back in a moment. Stay with us. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet, where we check on a few of this morning's biggest upgrades and downgrades by firms you know and stocks that you likely own. we got a big one this morning. Goldman Sachs raising its rating on Netflix, moving it from neutral to sell, and heising its price target from $230 to $400 per share. Goldman saying the move reflects the current overall positive operating performance for Netflix and continued forward positive operating momentum into next year and into 2025. Netflix higher ahead of the open. You see shares are up 1%. The stock is up more than 50% so far this year. All right, time now for your global briefing and check on the headlines. Dominating conversation on trading desks all around the world. We start with Foxconn reporting second quarter sales jumped nearly 14% from a year ago. The company adding expects to see a continued uptick in business with the current quarter and that the second half of the year's peak season is already underway. China's server sector activity growing at a slower pace than expected last month. The reading ticking down from May and falling below analyst expectations. It's the latest signal of struggles within that economy. And the Bank of England is reportedly weighing plans to force foreign banks to replace branches with subsidiaries in the U.K. 
That's according to the Financial Times. The move could reduce the thresholds requiring foreign banks with corporate businesses in the country to set up subsidiaries, making it easier for regulators to seize control in the case of a failure. Now to our second half playbook and placing our bets on the gaming sector. First half, the next six months, it looks to be an active period for the space. Our Contessa Brewer, she's going to lay out the key drivers. Want to roll the dice on gambling stocks in the second half of 2023? First, watch for mergers and acquisitions and the bare-fisted brawling that goes along with these offers. For instance, gambling newcomer Fanatics makes a $150 million bid for points bet. DraftKings doesn't need points bet, but enters the fray with a bid that forces Fanatics to up its offer to $225 million and wins points bet. DraftKings and FanDuel are the market share leaders by far. They are closely watching Fanatics, though, as the newcomers. And with roughly 60 operators across the nation, more consolidation is coming. Secondly, watch for IPOs and public listings. FanDuel's parent, Flutter, is hoping to engage its all-important U.S. customer base in some stock investing when it lists here later this year. And now that the IPO freeze seems to be thawing, industry insiders are watching to see if Fanatics or other smaller operators will go public. Third, casinos head into the second half against some tough comparisons after last year's blockbuster record-breaking results. But in Las Vegas, international travel and convention business hasn't fully rebounded. Plus, F1 is projected to push Vegas to its best November ever. That could have an impact for Caesars and MGM. And Macau this week just posted gaming revenue for June five times higher than last year, but still off almost 40 percent from 2019. That leaves a lot of room for improvement for MGM and Melco, Las Vegas Sands and Wynn Resorts. I'll send it back to you. All right. Our big thanks to our Contessa Brewer for that. For more on the gaming sector's second half outlook and the names to watch, let's bring in David Katz, managing director and analyst at Jefferies. David, thanks for being here. Thank you. All right. So Contessa laid out a lot of the things going on in this space. I want to just get a sense. What's your second half outlook? So technically, gambling's consumer discretionary over the last month. Those stocks have been the best performers. Do you see the consumer continuing to be willing to spend on just about everything, including gaming? Uh, I think when you couch it in the context of consumer, uh, and yes, gambling does appear to be consumer discretionary on the surface. The way we look at Las Vegas, which is one of the points Contessa made, is that it's really a convention event and destination market. And because of the logistics and just the large numbers of people involved, that has taken longer to recover and is still accelerating. Uh, And so we do have a bullish view on Las Vegas and the stocks there are MGM and Caesars. Uh, because, as you point out, the Formula One uh, is coming to Las Vegas for the first time in November, uh, followed by the Super Bowl early next year. Uh, and with all the sports events, concerts, the sphere opening behind the Venetian, there's just a lot going on in Las Vegas and a lot to like. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the Super Bowl. Before that even starts, we obviously have the NFL season, which is, you know, generally the busiest time when it comes to gambling overall. Also, during the pandemic, we saw a rise in digital gaming. So when you put those two forces together, the NFL coming back, and digital gaming, do we continue to see people spending on these digital platforms? And is that a higher margin business for these gaming operators? Uh, it, it, to answer your last question first, no, uh, it's not, not yet. Uh, but the, important, uh, the importance of you raising the point is that digital gaming uh, has only been legal in this country for a couple of years now and is pivoting to profitability this year, uh, where there's been a period of investment and spending. Uh, and going into this NFL season, expectations are very, very high for both MGM and Caesars, as I mentioned, 
to pivot to profits in their digital business, as well as some of the other players that I think Contessa mentioned, such as DraftKings, uh, that is expecting a big profit for the fourth quarter of this year for the first time. Uh, and I think that's what has the street very focused on those stocks continuing to rise through the remainder of this year. All right. We're talking a lot about Las Vegas. I also want to touch on some of things on the other side of the world, including Macau. We've seen an uneven recovery in China. We just talked about some somewhat disappointing services data. I know that doesn't relate directly to the gaming sector, but in general, we've seen a softer economy than China than many people expected. Does that extend to Macau as well? It, it, it does. And I think at some point the macro backdrop for Macau will start to come into play uh, and whatever government stimulus support may or may not occur will become much more relevant. For now, uh, we are just and I was over in March to see Macau for the first time in a couple of years, just getting the access, just getting the airlift from mainland China, just getting uh, people comfortable back uh, and traveling again. And so Macau is really just starting uh, to to you know re um, recover to it to some state of new normal and the importance Frank of the new normal is uh, that VIP junket business in Macau has largely been made illegal and so that's gone away and it just changes the business calculus of what's happening in Macau but it is returning to some okay. new normal at some higher profitability. All right, David Katz, thank you very much for your insight. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, the one word that every investor needs to know today. Stocks facing pressure coming off the 4th of July holiday. Oppenheimer's John Stoltzfus lays out the factors that could fuel a strong second half. Much more worldwide exchange right after the break. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you need to know before the opening bell. The Biden administration is reportedly drafting a new rule designed to restrict Chinese companies' access to U.S. cloud computing services. If confirmed, that rule would likely require companies like Amazon and Microsoft to seek U.S. government approval for any new Chinese contracts. Meta Platforms is getting set to launch a Twitter rival called Threads Tomorrow. The new microblogging app will allow Instagram users to bring over their existing usernames and followers. Amazon, Google, Apple, Samsung, TikTok, and two more companies say they meet the EU's new criteria of gatekeeper status, exposing them to tougher rules and increased antitrust scrutiny under the bloc's Digital Markets Act. Yahoo's current CEO says he wants to bring the company back to the public markets. Yahoo remains well behind Google and Bing in terms of search, but the company still ranks in the global top five in traffic and will be aggressive in pursuing new M&A opportunities. Amazon says the first of its new custom fully electric Rivian delivery vans have arrived in Europe with more than 300 on the way in coming weeks. And China-based retailer Xi'an is reportedly working with at least three U.S. investment banks on a potential NASDAQ or New York Stock Exchange listed IPO. Timing of any offering, according to Reuters, is still uncertain. And we're gearing up for the trading day ahead. At 10 a.m. Eastern, we get a look at the latest factory order figures then at 2 p.m., we get the minutes from the latest Federal Reserve policy meeting. Following that, we hear from New York Fed President John Williams this afternoon. And watching the start of OPEC's annual international summit, the event coming on the back of Saudi Arabia and Russia, revealing they'll further cut their oil output. With the Federal Reserve top of mind for many investors today, let's get another check on how the markets are shaping up here in the U.S. after the 4th of July holiday. Looking at futures right now, at session lows, with the Nasdaq set to open up more than a half a percent down, the Dow down a half a percent as well. Let's bring in John Stoltzfus, Oppenheimer Asset Management Chief Investment Strategist. John, good morning. Thanks for being here. Morning. 
Good morning, Frank. Good to be with you today. Always Thanks good to be with you. All right. So taking a look at futures in the red this morning, a lot of people anticipating those Fed minutes later today. What are you expecting today? What are you expecting for the second half of the year? Well, we're in a highly transitional period here, if you consider all the different things that are happening, whether it has to do with, with infrastructure, monetary policy, uh, the whole transition from uh, traditional uh, energy to alternative energy that continues to move forward, global climate change, plenty of stuff. But the overall effect is it does appear that we are coming out of the woods and the light at the end of the tunnel is not uh, a locomotive. We think there's more upside, just like your other guests uh, have said today uh, from the equity crew that we've heard uh, on the wax. I would have to say this looks like a good environment. That said, uh, do expect that you'll see some weakness sometimes going into okay. uh, the data that's coming across the plate. All right. So, John, you just gave us your wax where the day it is transitional. Uh, very similar to the Fed's word of uh, 2022 transitory. So speaking of that, what are you expecting from the Fed minutes being released later today? How does that impact the remainder of the trading day after it's released at 2 p.m., but also the remainder of this holiday shortened trading week? What are you expecting from those minutes? Uh, we, we've got to say when it, when it comes to the, the minutes that are going to be released, basically everything is known ahead of time. Powell has already given really the, the telegraph notice of, of what was said. It's well known. There was a discussion, but it was a unanimous agreement with the likelihood of the potential for two more hikes this year if needed. And uh, I think the reality is the, the headline inflation number has come down, but the core number is still is still higher. Uh, both are still higher than where the Fed wants to go, but the, the core seems to be particularly uh, problematic, X uh, okay. food and energy. I want to focus on today, the first full trading day of the second half of the year. Where are you seeing opportunities? Are there any sectors that you're feeling especially bullish on? Are there any that you'd stay away from at least today? Yeah, Frank, you know, we, we've been on quite a bit with you over the course of the last year. Uh, we still like technology, consumer discretionary, uh, industrials. Uh, we think uh, large cap financials have had some collateral damage as a result of the regional banks in terms of pricing. So that could that could uh, we, we could see some good news there. And then you got to look at materials. This is transition back to uh, a sustainable economic growth uh, with uh, in a process where the key word is resilience. Don't look for robust. This is coming out of a significant crisis and then all okay. the hurdles that follow. So I got to ask you, when you we talk about industrials and materials, some of that trade is levered to China, which is opening up slower. Um, the services data disappointing. That's not the PMI data, but the services data is a bit disappointing. And here in the U.S., we've seen softer than expected manufacturing data as well. Where do you see continued upside for this sector or those sectors? Oh, well, well, within industrials, it, it just has to do with the, the infrastructure and in agriculture. Take a look what's happening when it comes to the weather. Uh, farmers are going to need to be thinking uh, how to be more technologically uh, uh, positioned. They already are plenty now. But uh, we think this moves forward. Uh, and then, of course, all the road equipment, all the construction equipment. This is a big building period that we're about to go into. Uh, and we think with an election year coming up, uh, we're going to see the administration push forward on loosening okay. up some of that cash that was approved. John Stolfes, always great to see you. Thank you again. All right, before we let you go, one last look at the futures right now. Seeing the futures right across the board. The NASDAQ, the hardest hit, down more than a half a percent. The Dow looks like it would open up just below a half a percent. Same story for the S&P 500.
That's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box coming up next. Thank you for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.